Welcome to Industry Focus, the show that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. Today we're talking energy and industrials. It is Thursday, the 26th of April. Um, today we're going to be talking about Alaska Air Group. I'm your host, Sarah Priestley, and joining me uh, on Skype is Senior Motley Fool contributor, Adam Levine-Weinberg. Hey, Adam. Hi, Sarah. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Uh, I was just explaining to you before we started recording about the miserable rain and prolonged winter that we've having here in uh, Washington, D.C. Yeah, it's unfortunate. It's uh, much sunnier here in California. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe I just need to take a trip to California. Um, well, today we're actually talking about a company that could make that possible. Uh, it's an airline and one... Um, that uh, has been in the news for a couple of reasons this past week. So one is because they had an unexpected beat on earnings and the other is because they announced a crackdown on emotional support animals, which by all accounts had apparently gotten out of hand. So there you go. But anyway, um, Alaska Air Group is a West Coast airline operator that some of you may not be familiar with. Uh, Adam, I've never actually flown with Alaska, but I guess you being on the West Coast, have you used them before? Uh, not very frequently, but yes, I have flown with them a couple of times. How would you rate your uh, in-flight experience with Alaska? Uh, it's very good. I mean, it's it's nothing fancy, but they are uh, very good at what they do in terms of getting you to your destination on time. And that's really <laughs> the most important thing when you're um, flying an airline. Yeah, absolutely. That's pretty much all I care about. Um, so for people who aren't familiar with uh, the company, can you give us some, some of the basics? Sure. So... Alaska Air Group is actually now the fifth largest airline in the U.S. Uh, their 2017 revenue reached $7.93 billion, um, and that's up 70% from uh, 2012. And about half of that growth was organic, but half came from the acquisition of Virgin America, which uh, was completed in late 2016. Uh, while Alaska is the fifth biggest airline in the U.S., it's still quite far behind the top four. Um, the three biggest airlines are them, the legacy carriers that we all know about, American Airlines, Delta, and United, they all have revenue of about $40 billion, so uh, about five times as much as Alaska. And even Southwest, which is number four, has almost three times as much annual revenue as Alaska. They're well over $20 billion. Mm-hmm. So the top four really make up kind of 80% of the market. Um, yeah, they really dominate the market, but that also creates a ton of growth opportunities for smaller carriers like Alaska Air Group. And that's a big reason why in 2016, Alaska decided to acquire Virgin America. They paid uh, quite a hefty sum, mm-hmm. $2.6 billion of cash. Um, the idea behind the merger um, was basically to expand Alaska's geographic footprint so that it would have a platform for further growth. If you look back historically, just a, a couple of years um, or longer, Alaska was the dominant airline in the Pacific Northwest, so it had its main hub in Seattle, secondary hubs in Portland and Anchorage, and then a relatively small presence in California with uh, small focus city operations in both Los Angeles and San Diego, plus some flights to Hawaii from other cities in California. With the Virgin America acquisition, uh, Alaska is now a major carrier in San Francisco. It's actually the second largest airline in San Francisco now, and it also has a much bigger uh footprint in Los Angeles because Virgin America was pretty strong there as well. And I know that these are all cities um, that are very sought after by the airlines because it can be difficult in a very busy airport to get uh, runway time uh, and to get gate time and things like that. So obviously this was a big boom for them. They definitely paid a hefty price for it. They paid $57 per share, I think. Is that right? Which is a a big premium, 80% premium on Virgin's trading price at the time. Um, 
But it seems to have given them a much bigger footprint and, like you said, a much better foothold in the market in the US. And in 2017, uh, last year, they were really a stock market darling. The stock was up to almost $100 at one point, um, declined 26% over the course of the year because, you know, they had this revenue surge after the acquisition of Virgin America, but profitability was declining. And they posted adjusted earnings per share of uh, $6.64, which was down almost 10% for the year. Um, so not a great year for them in 2017 or a bit more of a roller coaster, would you say, Adam? Yeah, I mean, one of the um, one of Alaska's strengths historically was that um, because it was in this protected Pacific Northwest market where there wasn't as much competition, um, it's particularly true in Alaska, um, somewhat true in Portland. Um, for many years, it was true in Seattle, although more recently, there's been a big increase in competition from Delta Airlines mm-hmm. uh, in Seattle. But you had a, a pre-tax margin of 24% uh, in 2015 and 24.4% in 2016, which is just really unheard of in the airline industry. So Alaska was way at the top above its competitors. And now it's starting to face um, some more competition in its markets, um, both in Seattle, but also in its new markets in California uh, and some other merger headwinds, let's call it. Uh, The the profit margin really fell quite a bit last year. So uh, a lot of airlines faced um, some margin pressure in 2017 because of rising fuel costs, but Alaska had this increase in competition both in California uh, and in Seattle from Delta Airlines. And so the result was that its pre-tax margin declined to 16.6% from being 24%, 24% or higher in the prior two years. So that was a pretty steep decline, although it still left Alaska Airlines uh, at an above average level of profitability compared to other airlines. Um, the problem is that these profit headwinds have continued into the first half of 2018. So while the company did um, post better than expected earnings last quarter, it still saw a, a pretty dramatic collapse in its profitability. And mm-hmm. that a trend is going to continue probably into the second quarter. Absolutely. Yeah. And yet, like you said, there's just a seems to be a host of factors. But uh, the, the relationship with Delta and Seattle is interesting because they had for years operated this kind of symbiotic relationship where Delta had some international flights out of Seattle. And then um, Alaska was operating some regional flights, which worked very well for both carriers. Now, as you said, they're starting to see a lot more competition. Um, and, uh, and I think they're responding well to that. One thing, one move that they did make is obviously re- reuniting the Virgin America brand under the Alaska brand. Some have argued that this maybe alienated some Virgin Atlantic loyalists. Um, I don't know how many loyal uh, air, air travel passengers there are. <laughs> maybe I'm just speaking from you know my own experience, but I feel like a lot a lot of people are really going with the cheapest or most convenient option as opposed to sticking with. Uh, a carrier unless they have like a very big, um, you know, they're a credit card follower for the for the points and the miles and things like that. Yeah, I would say that the the biggest risk to Alaska from the Virgin America merger is it's not in losing the volume. The vast majority of people who are flying Virgin America w- would fly Alaska or at least would consider flying Alaska. Um, Virgin America was known for having this uh, eight seat first class cabin in all of its planes. Uh, which was very sort of fancy, basically one flight attendant for just those eight people, humongous seats that were really cushy, um, all kinds of other perks. And it was a seat where you weren't allowed to get an upgrade just for flying a lot. You had to actually pay for the seat. 
And so people liked that because it was exclusive. And so there was a certain small class of people um, who were paying $1,000, $1,500 one way for these seats on Brutes. And that obviously is very profitable. On the other hand, it was only eight seats per plane. Mm-hmm. So it's not it's still not the majority of Virgin America's revenue by any means. Um, but it was an important part of that business. And Alaska still will have a first-class section. It's actually going to be a little bit bigger. But uh, the seats themselves um, don't won't have as much leg room, and they just won't be as much of a standout. And so the revenue premium that it's getting there will probably be smaller. Mm-hmm. When you look at the economy, Kevin, I don't expect to see much of much pushback from for former Virgin America customers yeah, at absolutely. all. Um, yeah, I think the Virgin America did a fantastic job with a lot of their marketing. But as you said, it's probably not um, going to hamper Alaska much at all. One of the bigger uh, one of the big things I've seen is that the synergies from the move are taking longer to materialize, uh, which kind of made me think, don't they always <laughs> whenever companies present these these cost savings from mergers, it always seems to take longer than they expect to recuperate. But um, their first quarter earnings, earnings you touched on, they were better than where than what they were expecting, but that's really because I think that they brought down expectations at the end of last year. But can you just give us a run through on how they performed? Yeah. So as you mentioned, when they provided their guidance back in January, the uh, forecast implied that Alaska might actually lose money in the first quarter of this year. Instead, the adjusted EPS came in at 14 cents, um, but that was still down from 99 cents a year earlier as Alaska's pre-tax margin fell all the way from 11% to 1.3%. So just looking at why there was this big margin decline, first you had unit revenue fall 2.1%, um, which was still better than the fourth quarter when there was a 4.1 decrease in unit revenue. Um, and this unit revenue pressure is being completely g- driven by new routes that were introduced over the past year. Uh, in fact, Alaska noted on the earnings call this past Monday that there was a 0.5% increase in unit revenue on routes that had been operating a year earlier. So the decline was because new routes tend to have lower unit revenue to start. And then if they um, don't show signs of improvement, they'll usually get cut. But most routes will improve over the course of anywhere between six months and two years. Um, The other uh, major factor impacting uh, the margin last quarter was a 20% increase in Alaska's average fuel price. and to a lesser extent, a 5.1% increase in non-fuel unit costs. That's driven by those lower, uh, those higher, sorry, labor costs that were agreed to last year. Is that correct? Yeah, about two-thirds of the cost increase, the non-fuel cost increase, was driven by um, labor costs. There was a new contract signed with the pilots uh, after an arbitration proceeding last fall, and then uh, just earlier this month, the flight attendants ratified a new agreement, uh, which was retroactive to the beginning of the year, giving them a pay increase. Mm-hmm. So from going from this point, how do you think that uh, the Alaska Air Group is going to kind of get back on track and improve its um, reputation, as it were, get back to being that stock market darling that it was in 2017? Yeah, so I think that during the second quarter, you'll still have um, some some trouble because a lot of the headwinds that um, caused trouble uh, for the past couple of quarters are continuing. There's actually going to be an even bigger headwind from fuel costs. Um, Based on current fuel prices, Alaska now expects a 32% increase in its jet fuel cost, uh, which would be a pretty substantial margin headwind. Um, And also, the timing of Easter this year moved some revenue from the second quarter 
into the first quarter because Easter was at the very beginning of April. Um, but looking beyond into the second half of this year and uh, 2019, uh, and then also beyond 2019, there's a lot of reasons to be more hopeful. So the first is that Alaska expects to get $300 million of revenue synergies from the Virgin America deal by 2021, uh, and most of those synergies will uh, show up in 2019 and 2020. Um, another thing that's going to help is that uh, the last Virgin America branded flights operated on this past Tuesday, April 24th. And so going forward, there's going to be just one brand, Alaska Airlines, one tech system. Um, that's good for revenue management, which helps increase uh, unit revenue. It also will create some new revenue opportunities, such as uh, connecting flights between Alaska's international partner airlines uh, like British Airways and the former Virgin America routes. And that's particularly important because uh, San Francisco and Los Angeles, which were Virgin America's points of strength, are much bigger international gateway hubs than Seattle. And so there's more of these partner airline flights going into those two cities where Alaska Airlines can now sell connecting uh, tickets throughout its network. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that's going to happen is uh, s- some new uh, revenue initiatives that are not merger-related. Um, the most notable of that was that the, the, the company is going to start selling what they call saver fares, which are the equivalent of basic economy. And that's going to happen probably in November or December. Um, and so the idea behind these saver fares is it'll be a ticket that's only for seats in the very back of the plane, and it'll be a little bit cheaper. Uh, and this is a way to better segment customers to get the ones who are the most price sensitive on the plane while getting people who are willing to pay a little more to sit further forward or to get an extra legroom seat to pay a few dollars extra. Um, And over the course of a thousand or more flights a day, that can really add up. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I I noticed that they're getting much stricter on their route network, which I think is really sensible and also leveraging their fleet better. So listening to the call, they were talking about using Boeing's for longer haul, Airbus's for shorter haul and really kind of maximizing their efficiency there. Um, And then another thing that I've actually seen in that you commented on, Adam, in an article that you wrote is about how they're um, cutting their capex um, and how management is kind of responding to the current environment by altering their spending quite a lot. Yeah, Alaska has been growing at a high single-digit rate, um, growing capacity at a high single-digit rate in recent years, and they're really pulling that back to uh, 4% in 2019 and 2020. And that's sensible because they just have a lot to uh, digest with this Virgin America acquisition. Um, There's certain routes that Virgin America ran that weren't profitable, and now Alaska's really taking a tough look at all that, um, figuring what routes it needs. And by cutting some routes, that leaves more extra capacity to... um, to start new routes that are in strategic markets. And as a result, they don't need to increase their fleet size as quickly. And so that's allowing them to reduce CapEx to uh, $750 million for 2019 and for 2020, which will allow them to generate free cash flow, pay down debt, um, also maybe start buying back more stock than they had been um, mm-hmm. this year and last year. I always think that's a good sign for management when they're quite responsive in terms of their expansion plans. Um, pulling them back if necessary, it just shows a bit more um, kind of less hubris than some companies demonstrate. Um, So, Adam, I know that you are an Alaska Air shareholder um, and and bullish on the company. And I have to say, you know, I'm very impressed by everything I've seen. But what underlines your your thesis? So I think it's important um, to realize that Alaska Air has been producing results recently that have been worse than 
um, what the market expects and worse than what I expected. But I still think that it has a bright future. Um, the key competitive advantage is lower cost structure relative to the legacy carriers. And Alaska estimates it at 18% um, its unit cost advantage. And that's really pretty significant. Um, the other, um, another major point in favor of Alaska Air is that you're going to have merger-related synergies and some of the revenue initiatives that were announced just this week kicking in um, between 2019 and 2020 for the most part. And that could deliver hundreds of millions of dollars to the bottom line by 2020, all else equal. Obviously, if there are uh, if there's a huge jump in oil prices between now and then, or if you have uh, a big increase in competition in some of its markets, that those gains could get eroded. Um, but assuming all else is equal, I think that you're going to see a pretty nice improvement in profitability after 2018. Um, there's also lots of long-term growth opportunities in California, um, as Alaska has noted. The market size there is three or four times bigger than its historical market in the Pacific Northwest, um, but it's still actually smaller in California than it is in the Pacific Northwest. So there's really quite a lot of room to grow in places like San Francisco and L.A. Mm -hmm. And then the last one um, is that in the longer term, especially after 2020, there should be some pretty significant cost savings opportunities by uh, updating Alaska's fleet, particularly the former Virgin America uh, Airbus fleet, which um, doesn't have as good a unit cost um, profile as some of the larger um, larger planes that are available and will be available with new engines um, in the next few years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're just getting increasingly more and more efficient. It's uh, fascinating to watch. Um, I think also it's you know, you've definitely touched on this before um, when we've talked about airlines. It's just it's such a cyclical industry. It's so uh, representative of kind of the health of the economy that it's tied to with Alaska. That would be the U.S. economy. So if you're bullish on the near term future of uh, and the long term future of the U.S. economy, then it's definitely um, worth looking at. I know a lot of investors were spooked kind of by the volatility that we experienced earlier this year. But uh, air travel certainly is only going to increase, um, and especially kind of a Seattle in, in its major hub becomes more and more tech-focused, and it expands its its reach um, further down the West Coast too, and uh, ac across the country. It, it's definitely going to become more um, more crucial. Um, yes, I certainly agree. Thank you very much for that overview on the Alaska Air Group, Adam. Um, Really appreciated that. One last thing that I wanted to ask you about before you before you go. Uh, obviously, we had the incredibly tragic incident uh, on the Southwest Airlines flight recently, and I was just wondering if you could kind of talk any uh, Southwest investors through what the process looks like on the um, safety side of the investigation for this. Sure. So the National Transportation Safety Board is now investigating the fatal accident on last week's Southwest Airlines flight from New York to Dallas. Um, that's standard um, for any um, major incident involving an aircraft, um, especially if there's a fatality. Um, so obviously, um, just to give some background on the incident, an engine part broke during flight. Um, a, piece, a piece of the uh, fan inside of the engine broke off, caused pieces to go flying everywhere. One of those pieces broke a window. And the result was that um, you have the cabin of the airplane, which is pressurized, very rapidly uh, depressurizing. All of that air is getting sucked out of the window. And the result was that um, the passenger who was sitting next to the window got pulled very quickly towards the window and sustained fatal injuries. 
Now, the NTSB has already offered some initial information about the accident. Um, they said that there was there were some signs of fatigue on this fan blade that broke off. Uh, and it is, in fact, standard procedure for them to offer daily updates to the media in the first few days. But um, the NTSB says that during that time, it only releases confirmed factual information. They don't speculate about the underlying causes of any accident um, until they've released the final report. So looking forward now, you're going to likely have a preliminary report coming out within the next few weeks. Um, but during this time, the NTSB will still be gathering a lot of information. They will almost certainly try to locate all the missing pieces of this engine and then bring it to a test facility, reassemble it to try to get more under of an understanding about uh, why there was this fatigue in the engine part um, and what went wrong. And then at some point, you'll get a final report specifying the causes, but that's probably not going to be issued for at least a year. And in some cases, it's taken several years for a final report to come out because um, they really do try to make sure that they get it right uh, rather than getting it out fast. Mm -hmm. um, that said, uh, time doesn't stand still. So the FAA has already ordered emergency inspections of several hundred engines, which they think might be vulnerable, that are similar to the one um, that had this failure last week. And those are supposed to happen within 20 days. Uh, part of the problem, the reason why this accident happened was because you couldn't actually see the defect in the engine uh, with the naked eye. They need to do uh, ultrasound examinations of each engine. And so that's what they're going to be doing during this testing process over the next couple of weeks. That's great. I've, I've definitely been on the other side of these investigations. And yes, it can take an incredibly long period of time. That is a lot of paperwork uh, to chase down. And often it is literal paper. Um, but it's a very scary time, I'm sure, for a lot of uh, a lot of people involved in this and just an awful accident to happen. So we'll be watching that to see what happens. But thank you very much for that rundown, Adam. Um, I appreciate it. You're welcome. Um, that's it from us today. If you would like to get in touch, please feel free to email us at industryfocus at full.com or tweet us on Twitter at MFIndustryFocus. As always, people on the show may own companies discussed, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thank you to Austin Morgan for mixing the show today. For Adam, I'm Sarah Priestley. Thanks for listening and full on. Mm -hmm.